what is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast. It's the Fundamism Podcast. Coming to you from a very special place today, but before I deliver the news, I'd like to shout out our sponsor. They've been with us from day one. Man, I just admire so many of the staff members, the individual that created um, the particular concept, but Charlie Hustle. If you don't know anything about Charlie Hustle, please go to charliehustle.com. And if you don't own one Charlie Hustle shirt or joggers or whatever you're into, go to fundamism.com and swoop up your very own Fundamism and Charlie Hustle collabo, the What's Good shirt. Stop focusing on the meaningless interactions of work, weather, and family, and start creating memorable interactions by focusing on what's good. So today's guest is an individual that I have had the pleasure of connecting with uh, for several years, mainly in the philanthropic space. He is an avid Charlie Hustle supporter, but most importantly, he is a huge supporter of anything that helps others. He is the captain of Sporting KC, Mr. Matt Beasler. What's good, Matt? Everything. Yeah, man, I knew it. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's like your lifestyle. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I'm going to try and match your energy, but I don't know if that's humanly possible. Uh, I don't know. I've heard that a lot. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, I've heard it dial it down quite a bit in my life. So I don't know that you want to match it. Your wife might be a little overwhelmed. We are in my basement right that now. That is true. Uh, quite the man cave you have. Uh, I came down the steps. We are in Matt Beasler's basement. Um, kids are upstairs. Live it up. How many kids do you have? Two girls. Two girls. Um, and little Parker, she's been kind of a staple of the Sporting KC marketing efforts for some time. <laughs> yeah, she has. She's <laughs> she's getting famous. She is getting she famous. She likes it. Likes the spotlight. Dude, I have a million questions for you. Um, before we get there, again, just to wrap up my story, I was coming down the steps of your basement. The first thing I see is this magnificent ping pong table. And uh, those of you that know me know that I dabble, uh, really enjoy ping pong, uh, am self-described as pretty awesome at it. And so I challenged Matt, uh, and I said, hey, are you good at this thing? I'd love to throw down and potentially humble you. And he says, sure, a one-word answer. That's kind of like the quiet assassin. I don't know that I, I don't, look at him shrugging his shoulders right now. <laughs> hey, to start off the same question, every single guest, um, similar to you, uh, I'd love to ask you, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? I love spending time with my family. Okay. Um, I enjoy going out to eat okay. with friends, sure. with my wife. Love country music. Country? I'm a country guy. Man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't guess that about you. No, What's your, I know. Who's your favorite artist? Uh, I, I've kinda, I go in cycles. Okay. Uh, a lot of the new guys. Okay. Uh, Jason Aldean, Luke Bryan. For sure. Um, Thomas Rhett. Okay. So yeah, we, we try and hit a couple country concerts um, each year. Sure. Country concerts to me are the best. Like Everyone's just so happy. Uh, they're usually outside. Uh, the weather's good. You know, I just, I, I enjoy a good country concert. Um, have a lot of fun at those over the years. What's the most memorable country concert you ever went to? Whew, that's tough. Let's see. The The best one I went to last year was at Sprint Center. So it was, it was indoors. It was Thomas Rhett. Okay. He was, he was awesome. Sure. Great performer, stage presence. Uh, we went out to eat before at the Bristol downtown, which was fun. Just the whole experience. It was, it was a great time. Best concert I've ever been to, though. So I saw uh, Darius Rucker okay. and Luke Bryan yes. play together, and it was at Sporting Park at Children's Mercy, and it was a concert uh, just like outside on the field. And I was playing at the time, so we got some great like access, you know, backstage, and you know, we got the whole deal, which made the concert even better. One hundred percent. You had to throw in a you. You might know who I am. I'm kind of a big deal. Adam. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but like, it was it was really fun because. Uh, you know, I, I play soccer there, yes. right? So I was like sitting there watching a concert on the field that I play at, which was a, a bit surreal. For sure. But it was cool. So um, big into seafood. You mentioned the Bristol. Like I, I am a avid fan of the Bristol. You like seafood as well? or is I do. Gonna... I mean, I wouldn't say I'm an avid fan. I don't go and seek like seafood places. Sure. But, but I like seafood. Uh, my wife and my close friends will pretty much hit it on the nose that my favorite food is salmon. Salmon? Uh, yeah, grilled salmon. Well, so we actually pronounce that in the streets as salmon. Salmon? Yeah, that's absolutely right. But... I'm going to have to add that to my vocabulary. Oh, for sure. And uh, what is it? Uh, the Philip Mignon as well is a nice compliment to the salmon. <laughs> 
but nevertheless, man, you gave me a lot to work with there. Uh, Luke Bryan is one of my wife's favorite. Um, what, did you shake it for him? Isn't that that's a song? Country girl, shake it for me. Is yeah, that, it is. Some Luke Bryan. It is. Uh, no, I didn't. The girls go crazy. For I that bet one. they do. Yeah. What's interesting about um, that particular genre of country that you just mentioned, Jason Aldean, you know, Luke Bryan. You know, traditional country fans would tell you that's not country at all. That's more like you know pop country. Yeah. And uh, I could appreciate that far more than the old school. You know, country. The, the, the twangy. The twangy. Yeah. Yes, one hundred percent. I'm with you. I mean. For me, it's it's more about the the message in the storytelling that I can relate to. Yes, like I love, you know, I love this idea of the the simple life. Um, you know, just you know, keeping in touch with your buddies, like all the stuff they sing about. You know, sometimes the delivery is maybe a little bit too slow. Sure, the beat's not there. Um, you know, when you're listening to country before a soccer game, like, right? Okay, maybe you know I'm not. It's doing not the that, hype music like, that you're looking for. If, I, if I'm <laughs> if I'm chilling and you know trying to relax or just like you know driving, going to run an errand, I just I love I love the message and kind of what they talk about and and what they represent. I think that um, just what you just said about your affection for country music and why you like it basically helps um, express one of the main reasons why I wanted you on this podcast because everybody that knows you or runs into you or, or has seen you in the community or a, you know, a charity event, they would describe you as an individual that's authentic, that genuinely cares about others, um, that is uh, concerned about development and, and helping others through things, including yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. And so not news to me that the reason why you like country is the message behind it. Um, we connected at several charity events, one of which... Um, is something near and dear to your heart uh, called Shadow Buddies. Yep. So tell us a little about uh, about your involvement in Shadow Body, Buddies. How did you become connected to Marty, and uh, and what what have you done in terms of partnerships with them? Yeah, so I got connected with them probably six or seven years ago, and I had no idea what it was. I knew it was so the Shadow Buddy. It, it's 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 essentially this this doll, um, almost like a teddy bear, but it's a person, and. I saw it. I was like, what is this? And they basically give them out to, to kids who are going through operations, surgeries, treatments, chemo in the hospital. And it can be this, this, this partner, um, this, this buddy that can shadow their experience. And so you can, you can almost, and you can customize the buddy. Um, so if you're going through something where you've got to, you know, have surgery on your stomach, you can make your buddy have like a stomach operation or a scar or I mean, whatever, you know, you want to do. And, you know, it's just, to me, it's, it's so innocent and, and such a simple idea, but it's genius. For and sure. so I heard that idea. I'm like, oh my gosh, how has never, how has no one like ever thought of this? Like these kids, you know, they're so young and like everyone's obsessed with stuffed animals when they're younger. And like, this could make such a difference. And so the light bulb kind of went off in my head like, oh yeah, I want to explore this. And so I, I initially said yes um, to the commitment and I went and you know checked out what they were all about. And my wife came with me and she did, did some work with them on the side as well. She was like really big into us getting involved. But as soon as I went to the hospital the first time and I saw like what they were about and the difference like that it actually makes to these kids, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm on board. Sure. Because it's just, it's so cool. Like, I walked in the hospital and, you know, I'm a professional soccer player. So it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to make these kids day. And right. To be honest, like half the kids don't know who I am. For sure. Um, but they know what a stuffed animal is exactly. or a stuffed person or, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so it was just, it was just so cool. And um, it's, it's still so organic and it's, it's based in Kansas city. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of reasons why. I got involved and why I will continue to stay involved. But yeah, it's, it's a great organization. Well, so fast forward, that was roughly six years ago. And Marty Postalweight is the f- uh, founder of Shadow Buddies. Is yeah, that accurate? Yeah. Marty and Miles. Yep. Mar- Marty Miles, forgive me. No, no, Marty and Miles. And Miles, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. I was like, oh, you're wait, I, I blew it. I blew it. Uh, Marty's actually going to be a guest of the, of the podcast because she is... I mean, talk about stories. Oh, yeah. That lady has been through some stuff, yeah. made it through to the other side, and continues to smile her way through it all while um, helping create memories and sharing 
uh, kindness and, and, you know, smiles with other people. So yeah, she's amazing. She is amazing. Nevertheless, uh, fast forward, I got the opportunity to see you at a Shadow Buddies event where you were, um, you were a, a speaker, a guest speaker, along with your beautiful wife. And I talked to you before going up and you were like, man, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure about this. I don't, I don't know that I'll do it as great as you, uh, which was very kind because you'd never seen me speak nevertheless, but <laughs> made me feel great coming from you, uh, a legend in Kansas City, but you nailed it. So tell me about your experience in public speaking. Is that something that uh, has has historically given you anxiety? Um, and what did you do to improve your skill set there? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that could relate to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert um, by any means. Uh, definitely more comfortable uh, with, with where I'm at now, but that's just through experience. Sure. Uh, you know, when I first started out, I started visiting schools. Uh, that's something that, that I always try and do throughout the season. And I think that's a great place to start because, you know, the, the kids are less forgiving. Uh, you know, when you get up and, and talk to you know, elementary school kids, middle school kids, it's, it's more of a relaxed environment than For getting sure. up and trying to give a speech in front of adults. And bow ties and yeah. jackets. And- so that, that was like a great platform for me to, to start speaking and to start, you know, trying to deliver some of the messages that, that I believe in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I usually, I have a couple points that, that I, that I try and stick to, but I never go off of a script. Um, I, when I get up there, I, I just, I try and speak from the heart. Um, I try and relax as much as possible and just be, be real. Um, and just be a normal person and almost like imagine myself, like I'm sitting in the audience, like listening to myself and having this like conversational tone for sure. Um, and that usually works for me. Um, especially it kind of aligns with some of the messages that I'm, you know, delivering. Um, I mean, I, in your world, you're, you're more of like the motivational guy. So I think you probably have to plan a little bit more in terms of, um, you know, when you have to be enthusiastic sure. and some of the emotions that you deliver. But for, sure. for me, I, I really just try and be conversational. Well, what's interesting about that is I think that there is a misnomer out there that a lot of folks um, think about speaking and put pressure on themselves to deliver that you're, you're speaking at a group of people. And we, and we don't say that we're speaking at a group of people, but we have a message. We want people to take something away. And as a result, it has to be very, very formal. And we make it this huge production. Yeah. Where to your point, those that have seen the most success, either you know informally or formally, as speakers or professional athletes, or heck, even an individual getting up at a charity event that's talking about what they do and why they do it, are individuals that understand that the reason why they've gotten lift and wherever wherever they are. You could be the most highly skilled soccer player in the world, the most highly skilled speaker in the world. Larry Perez is with us. He could be the most highly skilled website designer, photographer in the world. If you don't know how to talk to people or connect with others in terms of relationships, then you'll never get to where you aspire to be. So taking that, that little you know, foundation and incorporating it in how you speak and knowing that if you approach it from an informal nature, you're phenomenal with relationships. So for you to get up and then ultimately alter your style to get away from something you're good at, which is a relationship, to feel like you have to appease the masses, you're going to come across as very disingenuous. So yeah. I think that you've, you've nailed it. One thing that I would say, you, you compared yourself um, to my experience, I approach it the same way that you do. I approach it as very informal, very interactive. I get off the stage. I interact with people. I shake hands. Um, I actually had the opportunity to meet your father, coincidentally, Yeah, um, which was amazing. <laughs> I was doing an event for the Kansas Optometrist Association, and uh, I go out in the audience, and, and I meet this wonderful gentleman, and last name is Beasler, and I said, are you by chance related to Matt Beasler? And all of a sudden... Uh, he he kind of clams up a little bit and he gets quiet and he goes, yeah. And I go, well, how so, sir? And he goes, that's my son. Of all the people that I called on, it's Greg Beasler, your father, yeah, right? And yeah. he was amazing, came up to me afterwards and was super awesome. But what's funny about that, I believe wholeheartedly in energy. Like you throw out good energy, um, relationships like you do, good stuff ends up happening. Now, you can't expect for good stuff to happen in return, but you just do stuff, you're authentic, and ultimately awesome stuff happens. Well, around that time, when I met Greg Beasler, we were doing the setup for Vali Lama. And I hadn't formally met you. Like, um, like 
I would say like on this level where, you know, we were comfortable talking. I mean, I'd seen you at events and whatnot, but we'd never really had a real conversation. But it was just announced that you were going to be an ambassador for Valley Lama, which of course is supporting pediatric cancer and Noah's Bandage Project, which falls right in line with Shadow Buddies because we actually uh, form mutual partnerships and individuals going through the struggle, Shadow Buddies actually donates for. So at that time, you had just announced that you are the Sporting KC ambassador for Valley Lama. And I'm on cloud nine. What are the freaking odds that ultimately I run into your father and he's the one dude that I call on first? It's crazy. It is crazy. He, he texted me right after that. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't and believe you, it. And then you reached out yes. a few days after that. And yes. we, we connected all the dots. 100%. Yeah. So um, you, you talked about speaking and, and the informal nature of it and really just relating to people and, um, and being able to speak from the heart is very, very important. Was there any speaker or any athlete, um, any individual that carried themselves in the media that you kind of modeled yourself or your style out in the community after or helped you grow your speaking uh, style, if you will? So writing a book helped. Yes. Immensely. Yes. Writing a book helps because- And you actually wrote it. I did. I did. Kudos to you, man. Yeah, I did. And I mean, it, it just, it helps gather your, your thoughts, right? Yes. You have to- you have to put all your thoughts down on pen and paper. For sure. You have to find a way to articulate what's going on in your crazy head. Yes. And you have to do it in a way that that uh, makes sense yes. to people. And so, I mean, I think writing a book, that, that entire process really helps you organize what you want to think about and what you want to talk about. And so after, it was almost like before and after. Like before the book, I kind of talked about everything. Um, but after the book... There was, it was just like a lot more organized and I felt more comfortable and it just became easier because, you know, I mean, you've written a book, right? Mm. Yeah. I've read your book. Yeah, you have. I have read your book, but yeah. I mean, You're you, one of the first people I sent it to. Yeah. So I'm one of the first people to read it. That's true. And yeah. I didn't even know you read it. So this made, you, you made my day earlier. I actually, I, re- I remember reading it. I read it in preseason. So, uh, I mean, I, when did you come out with the book? November, 2018. Yeah. So I read it in January uh, 2019. My guy. So yeah, we're coming up on the anniversary of when I read your book. Sure. Well, I greatly appreciate that. One thing that I learned in writing a book and that whole process is that it's hard. Agreed. And, and, uh, how long did it take you to finish your book? So it took me a year Okay. because I never, I never sat, we didn't really have a deadline. Sure. And I never sat down and said, all right, I'm going to go to the coffee shop or lock myself in the basement and crank out, you know, half the book. Sure. It was more of this like ongoing process. I would I would essentially write the book when I was on airplanes. Wow. When I was traveling to and from games. Mm-hmm. Because you're up in the you're up in the air and, you know, you got three hours and you know, that's kind of when your brain is just like flowing. For sure. And so I, I would kind of, you know, I'd write on a road trip and then I'd let it sit for about a week and then I'd pick it back up and um, it was it was fun. I mean, I'm so glad I did it. Uh, but like you said, I I have a ton of appreciation and respect for for people that do that for a living. Sure. Authors, it's it's tough. Well, I could relate to everything that you're saying and admire the fact that you could do that on a plane. You know, I used to aspire to to get things done on a plane, and then I would realize that they had Wi-Fi or that I could watch you know some some Southwest Channel, which I heard yeah. you talk on the radio about uh, a couple months ago. Oh, the Chiefs game? For yeah. sure, right? Whether well, the airplane like life has changed for sure. in the past year. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, three hours on an airplane five years ago is completely different. 100%. Yeah. So I set the goal of accomplishing something, but then I saw Law & Order SVU is on. And so I am not going to miss an episode of Law & Order SVU if it is on, Matt. Fixer uppers on HGTV, <laughs> and you just you just get glued to it on the airplane. You have now just identified the difference between Matt Beasler and myself. Law yeah. and Order SVU versus Fixer Upper. So tell me about um, so one year to write your book. Uh, admiration for that process. I'm going to be transparent and saying I haven't read your book. Um, I need to I need to swoop that up. Well, I've got a couple copies upstairs, mm. so uh, we're going to make that happen. Yeah, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to give you a full assessment uh, when you're at training camp that's coming up. Yeah, so that'll be a nice little escape for you just to learn about my thoughts and overall assessment okay. of your writing style and delivery. I want to share how I, or why I wrote my book. Please, is that, is that cool? Yeah, I'll take the lead on this thing, dude. People, this is your podcast. No, because <laughs> people ask me all the time about 
like, why'd you write a book? I feel bad that I didn't ask you that. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm just going to ask the question. <laughs> answer taken over. Um, so back in 2013, we won MLS Cup. Yes, you Sporting did. Kansas City. Huge. Uh, awesome. Amazing time. Right after that, I got approached to write a book. And I looked into it, and I kind of took a step back. I'm like, what kind of book is this going to be? This book is going to be the traditional, I just won a championship, went to Disney World, and now I'm going to write a book. Yes. And let's sell some copies. For sure. Right? Let's, let's ride that high. And the, the timing wasn't right. I did not want to do that type of project. And so I uh, respectfully declined. Um, same thing happened about a year later with the World Cup. Played in the World Cup in 2014 down in Brazil. Bragger. Uh, yeah, thanks. First, first Kansan ever to play Heck in the yeah. World Cup. Now I'm really bragging. Yes, you should. Um, so same thing. Like, let's write a book about your experience in the World Cup, and let's focus it on, on, on that fact. You're the first Kansan ever to do that. Same thing. It was, it was going in the same direction. And I said, you know what? Now's not, now's not the right time. But I know I want to write a book. Like, it's so cool to be able to write a book. And fast forward to about a year later – 2015 and I had, I got a concussion and it was, it was pretty bad. I was out like two or three months from, from playing. And so it was kind of the first time in my career that I was, I was forced to be on the sideline that I couldn't play soccer. And in that time, you know, you're away from the game and you know, you you go through like a ton of different thought processes, but it hit me. I'm like, this is a great opportunity to, you know, to be able to take a step back from, from the professional soccer you know, the life, the grind, um, the, the focus that it takes to, to play at that level. And that's kind of when it hit me, like, let's pursue this book project. And so I, I you know, re-engaged with the, uh, the publishing company, which is a local company here in Kansas City, Andrews McMeal. And I said, hey, I think I want to do it now. Um, but and my biggest thing was I'm not going to write a traditional autobiography. I'm not going to, you're not going to open up the front page and like, I was born on February right. 11th, 1987. Sure. I started playing soccer when I was three years old. Right. I scored five goals mm-hmm. in this game, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I wasn't interested in that. And so I wanted to do this like journal book um, and basically just a bunch of journal entries and turn it into this book. And my, my real inspiration for the book was questions that people ask me. And because, you know, around town, at events, before and after games, I get a lot of the same questions from people, but I never, I never really get the time to answer them the way that I want to answer them. For sure. Because you just don't have the time. Like you're interacting with all these different people and you try and give them like 10 or 15 seconds, but how much are you going to like really tell them? For sure. All the while you have your kids running around yeah. or your wife wants your attention at the Bristol yeah. or whatever, maybe. Yeah. And so, you know, they ask me, it's like, oh, you know, what can I tell my kid to, to get better at? And, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, keep practicing and, and eat healthy. And it's like... Real original, dude. You yeah, it. exactly. Like, that's, that's not an answer that I want to give. For but, sure. like, you're forced to give. And, and so I kind of just focused the book around these questions that people ask me. And, like, this was an opportunity for me to, like, really sit down and answer it in depth and to be able to help people that want to know, you know, what advice they can give their middle schooler or high school, or, or college decisions, or, you know, what's your, your favorite place to play? Um, and, and so I, I really enjoyed it from that aspect. Um, you know, I, I'm happy with, with how it turned out. But that's, that's kind of how the book started. That was the inspiration for the book, and it, and it took off from there. So the process was actually longer than a year. It was. So, because you had to kind of identify what you didn't want to do yeah. to ultimately become or do what you did want to do, yeah. right? Yeah. So, dude, I admire that so much. The fact that you, you nailed it. Just taking the time to sit down and do that takes so much. But couple that with the fact that what I found interesting is when you decided to do it, you were unable to play because you were dealing with the effects of a concussion. For three months, you said. Yeah. Was it difficult to focus on writing when you when you've got that going on with your with your health? So that was another reason why I started it then because so I, I, I saw a bunch of different specialists, a bunch of different doctors, and you know you, you can't do physical activity, you can't like get up, you're not supposed to like drive a lot. I was like, well, what can I do? Like, what's going to help? Um, you're not supposed to like watch movies or TV and all that stuff. And they said, well, actually, writing will help like writing a journal wow, and write about anything. 
um, that's going to help, you know, that's going to give your, your mind that like mental activity, but it's not going to overload it. And it will be good. Like emotionally, you know, going through a concussion is tough. Like you're, you're anxious about it. Uh, it's, it's hard cause you don't know if you're ever going to get better. Um, so there's just like a lot of unknowns and, and that's really tough, but, but writing actually helps the process. Um, and so I just started writing and I was like, well, what am I going to write about? Um, and the, they were like, well, write about anything. So I was like, oh, okay, here's my chance. Right. Like I have a ton of things that I want to write about. Sure. So I started like writing about and answering all these questions and that's really how it started. And then, you know, I had, before you knew it, I had my first like four or five posts, mm-hmm. my, my journal entries for the book. Yes. So I saw recently, forgive my ignorance, I think it was Ottawa on Twitter. Are you going to speak at the library or yeah, something? Yeah, I just did. I did oh, last did? night. Really? Yeah. So, um, so first of all, how did it go? And second of all, what is the basis for talks like that? Do you leverage your the content of your book and those questions in your delivery? Yeah, I do. So the the appearance was based on the book. Once in a lifetime event I read. <laughs> you did. You actually <laughs> saw that on Twitter. So the 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 folks from Ottawa approached me in the off season a few months ago. And they said they have this this program they do every year called Ottawa Reads. Okay. Or O-Town Reads. Okay. O-Town Reads. And they pick one book uh, every year to focus on. Like, I, I thought it was like a book a month right. or something, you know? Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the book of the month. And they're like, no, no, we, this is the book of the year. Yeah. You're kind of a big deal. So for 2020, <laughs> like, we picked your book yes. um, for the entire town of Ottawa to, to focus on. So they bought, they bought a thousand copies. Wow. For their library, yes, and they handed it out, and it, it's a really cool program. But they invited me to come down and speak to to their city. That's phenomenal. And so it was at the Ottawa Municipal Auditorium, which was amazing. Um, never been down there before. Well, I've been to Ottawa, but never been in that auditorium. And it's a it's actually a national registered like historic building, and it was insane. It was so cool. Like just the history of it. I got up on stage and I had chills and. Um, right before I went up on stage, I, I went into the the green room, and they had like all the people that performed there, and they had them like you know sharpied on the walls. There was just like thousands of people, and it was insane. Like Johnny Cash, really? Johnny Cash, like Johnny Cash autograph, like 1978 uh, played there. Just like a ton of famous people. I was like, oh my, I was blown away. And right. So I like scribbled my name in the corner. I'm like, oh, okay. Like get as far away from Johnny like you Cash haven't played for the USA national team. Well, yeah. <laughs> Johnny Cash is a different level, but it's all perspective. Homie. Yeah. So I, I, I focused on the book a lot. I, I basically told the same story I just told you mm. um, about, you know, how and why I wrote the book. Um, I was really able to tell, you know, some of the stories from the book. Um, I talked about leadership. Um, I usually talk about leadership. In, in every speech that I do, hmm. every talk that I do. And um, and then I just opened it up to questions. It was really cool. It was like a town hall style. Hmm. And so there was, you know, people from all ages and they asked me questions and we just, we had a talk. It was cool. Awesome. Well, you know, related to that particular experience, obviously you took your, your influence in writing, right? And then delivered that on stage, which are two different things. But to come full circle, you said that writing helped you speak. Yeah. And so I'm sure that there's a lot of people, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're a speaker, a consultant, or heck, you're a leader that's getting ready to do a one-on-one or a team huddle, whatever that looks like for yeah. you. You know, one thing I've learned, and you mentioned this when you first started talking about speaking, is that you like to to really focus in on a couple of bullet points. Because for the most part, people don't remember, they remember like 10 to 15% of what you said. And side note, 70% of all statistics are made up. You know that, right? Now I do. Yeah, you do. But nevertheless, um, what I focused on, and, and if you're listening and you have a pen and paper, write this down. If you're ever looking to, to deliver a, a concise message, or you have to do public speaking, or you have to run a team huddle, or, or heck, you're a Matt Beasler and you're getting ready to, to talk to you know, the masses, one thing that's really helped me in keeping my message uh, succinct and concise is a, a three-prong approach. So that three-prong approach is tell them what you're going to tell them, Tell them and tell them what you told them. So, for example, you're getting up and you're speaking to the Shadow Bunnies, you know, charity event. You know, I'm Matt Beasley. We're here to talk primarily about three things tonight. We're going to talk about who Shadow Buddy really is in our background. 
We're going to talk about what we're here to accomplish tonight through your help. And then the third thing that we're going to talk about is how you can help. So again, what we're here to do or who we are, what we're here to do and how you can help. And then you get into it. You know, a lot of people don't know this. That Shadow Buddies was actually created because of blah, blah, blah. That's and that's the, that's the telling part. That's the telling part, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, so that brings us tonight and why we're here. Listen, this is our annual gala. You know, we're here to celebrate all of the individuals in this room that help us get to where we are tonight. Through your help, we have raised almost whatever amount of money and, and you donated so many amount of actual shadow buddies. And that brings us to the third point tonight, where we need your help. While we've had a successful 2019, you guys are here to make it even better. So now we need you to open your hearts and really consider going out to the silent auction or being a part of this live auction or whatever it may be. So then at the end, you wrap it all up. So in closing, we talked about who we are, why we're here tonight, and how we need your help. If you do those three things and you learn something tonight, then I think we could all declare tonight a success. Would you agree? That's 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 perfect. You're perfect. I need to. I, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't have a pen and paper. Right? So all the listeners maybe wrote that down, but I'm gonna have to write that down. But you just. But you said that. You said yeah, that. Know, you know, it, bullet yeah. points, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a very structured approach to what those bullet points are. So, hey, side note, dude, if you need a coach, uh, I got you in All this right. realm. Yeah, right. I might even do it uh, pro bono so long as I can just throw down on you in that ping pong table whenever I desire. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> dig it. All right. So we have talked nothing at all about your soccer career. Before we transition there, um, You'd mentioned that the premise of your book are frequently asked questions that you don't feel that you've gotten the opportunity to effectively go into detail and provide an answer. What are uh, top two, top three most consistent questions that you get that are non-soccer related? Non-soccer related. So people want to know about the concussion because you know that that's been my biggest injury so far. Uh, I know that's soccer related. No, yeah, actually, but it's not. But it's not. It's not. So it, yeah. that's life-related. Yeah. And we talked about that before coming on air, right? Yeah. And, dude, I have so many questions about that. Uh, yeah. I don't know how comfortable you are talking about it, but but I know that that's a very common injury in soccer. And you wouldn't think so, but yeah. the number of balls that you take off your head, no offense, yeah. um, is is could be you know daunting and obviously a lot create a lot of wear and tear. So I'm guessing that's probably not the only concussion you've ever had. No, it's not. I've, I've had a couple. Um, it, it's amazing how far we've come mm. in the last couple of years with, with information and knowledge and just techniques to, uh, to, to deal with it. Sure. Um, it's amazing. I mean, we've, we've got a long ways to go, but I, uh, I'm excited to, you know, to, to push the envelope, you know, as far as we can in terms of mental health, uh, because it's real. I mean, it, it not just athletes either. Like it's, it's part of our world now. Um, and it's not going to go away hmm. ever. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think soccer is a great platform to, to be able to use that, but it, yeah, I mean, I think something I I've certainly learned a lot more than I would have ever imagined, um, in terms of mental health and concussions, just cause I've had to go through some of that stuff. Um, so, I mean, I would love to get involved a little bit more and just try and like help people, but that's essentially, that's, that's one of the biggest chapters in my book is, is that I mean I go in depth about what I experienced, what I learned, and and how I can help people because I, I want people to read my story and maybe they can relate and maybe it can help them. Yes, yeah. and um, down the road as our relationship progresses because it's, it's it's already going at an amazing clip. I mean I asked you, you said you're prepared. Uh, I was in the driveway and I said I assume that means in a bathrobe and house slippers, right? Uh, but alas, here you are in your joggers, ready to go after your workout. Um, I would love to find a way if I could support that mission in any goal, you know, or any realm. Mental health is obviously very important to me. And if you're just tuning in, this is your first podcast. My first question is, what the hell have you been doing? Um, we've been around. This is the 74th episode now, but um, thank you. Thank you for giving it a shot. Um, fundamentalism is all about the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. And no matter how great things are in your life, you could always remember the times where they weren't. And you thought to yourself in that moment that you couldn't possibly get through it, but you did, right? And what I found is getting through those challenging moments, first of all, they're always going to happen. No matter how great life is, give it time, you'll be knocked down a peg or two. 
And so what really separates that victim from the victor mentality is really realizing that this too shall pass. And taking time to grieve or reflect or grow as a result of whatever challenge you faced and then moving the heck on and focusing on what gives you strength is what helps you progress in life. So if there's any way that I can help you in that mission, please feel free to reach out. Cool. Appreciate that. So concussions is one of the things that you get asked about. What's uh, another? I get asked a lot about my decision to stay in Kansas City. Yes. And play. Uh, this was uh, This happened right after the World Cup. I had a couple opportunities to explore to go and play in Europe. And ultimately, I turned those down and decided to sign a long-term contract to stay in Kansas City um, mm-hmm. during the, the prime of my career. So a lot of people want to know about why I did it. Uh, and, and again, that's in the book because I've never really had the opportunity to explain, you know, there's all these articles that come out and people talk about, oh, he should have stayed or he should have win and like right. he's an idiot or he's, you know, whatever. People have opinions just based on on one decision. They don't really understand everything that goes into that decision. And so I really enjoyed writing that part of the book because it was my opportunity to to really, you know, open, you know, pull back the curtain and say, this is what happened. Uh, this was my thought process. These were the factors, and uh, I could I could explain myself. You know, uh, you're tremendous at marketing because what you're doing right now is you're telling everybody what's in the book, <laughs> but you're not answering any of the questions. I mean, no, this is you, great. You didn't say no. no what, you didn't want me to answer the questions. You said, "What are the questions?" Dude, Ottawa just so, bought a thousand copies of your book. What do you want, dude? <laughs> You gotta, you gotta give me better questions. Then. That is true. I answered your question. One hundred percent. That is one hundred percent accurate, um, dude. You're an open book. Anybody that knows you knows that uh, you are as authentic and open as they come, and you will do your best to spend time and showing a genuine interest in others. And if people have questions, then heck, you'll answer them. One of the things that I have been extremely intrigued by, and you just leveraged it up or touched on it a little bit, is your decision to stay in Kansas City. Now, that was after your career got started and all that stuff, but you're a hometown hero. I mean, you grew up in, please forgive me, is it Blue Valley Northwest? Blue Valley West High School, Overland Park. Okay, forgive me. So, um, whole family of athletes, uh, including your hilarious brother, Nick, who I got the opportunity to meet and is also a professional soccer player, plays for Real Salt Lake. Correct. Actually, uh, they are... They are... um, Rivals. Rivals. Yeah. I saw you guys going at it uh, this last time you played, and it was so cool to watch you as the big brother uh, mentoring him on site, but you were expressing irritation <laughs> with him. It was fun. It, it, it looked fun, it man. I love to go. I love to be out there. But all that to say that I had the opportunity to connect with both of you after I met Greg, your father, and your other brother, forgive my ignorance, Mike, Mike uh, who is awesome. And yeah. he's a, is he a football coach? Yeah. 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 He, uh, big he, old boy. He coaches football at Blue Valley West. Yeah. He's a big football player. And he is a, he's a beast of a man. Yeah, he is. So you guys got just, you know, DNA. You know, was Greg an athlete? What gives? Like Greg and Diane. Okay. Were both athletes. Nice. Yeah. So we get the opportunity to play together in a charity wiffle ball tournament that actually benefited our veterans, which was amazing. Yep. Right. And, uh, so I'm actually sporting right now my my uh, sporting KC wiffle ball jersey that has my name on it on the back, Fun Paul, which I'm now uh, known as around town because that was on TV locally. It was on TV. Yeah, mainly because you were there. But you hit a home run. I did. Uh, your your middle brother hit a home run. Yep. Nick did not hit a home run. He did not. The youngest brother. And so at the end of the game, uh, you and your middle brother got honored with uh, MVP awards and called the Bash Brothers. And I looked at Nick and he had this sad puppy dog face on his, you know, because he wasn't honored at all. Yeah. And so in the game that you guys played against after that, he actually ended up breaking his foot. Is that accurate? Yeah, this was about a week after that game. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. Energy. Yeah. So he breaks his foot in the game that you play against. Yeah. And he could no longer play. He's out for the season. So I text him and I give him grief. And he says, you know what? Actually, I'm excited about it because it gives me a full year to train for the wiffle ball home run championship. <laughs> so I need that belt. That's amazing. That dude is a clown. Oh, he's uh, he's very witty. So tell me about that. Were you guys growing up? So as a family of athletes, um, you had a lot of expectations on you, man. Like you were, 
you were a star. You were um, all American at Notre Dame. Um, you went on to play, and you, you become you know uh, you were on the All Star team, the MLS. You're an individual kind of like LeBron James that had a lot of expectations and actually met all of those expectations or exceeded them. There's a lot of folks on here that feel as though we're listening in today that feel as though they have a lot of expectations on their shoulders. And as such, they feel pressure to deliver. How did you handle that growing up and even in your career today? That's, that's a big question. Um, First, I want to say you just compared me to LeBron James. Yeah, and I'm just going to shut that down Hell, right now. Oh no, what? Yeah, I, I love LeBron. <laughs> LeBron's like my number one. Like, but more than Michael. Uh, Michael's one. Okay, we'll never Dang be it, dude. Yeah. Um, the set. I promise, I'm going to answer your question. Okay. The second thing, <laughs> it's I, in the book, guys. I, if you go yeah. to, <laughs> I want to tell a quick story though about about that wiffle ball game. Please. So, uh, at Christmas this year, so I saved the uh, the the plaques. That that my brother Mike and I got yes. for hitting home runs. We got the the Bash Brother Awards, and I I ended up making a plaque for Nick, Aww. and I I made him the "You Tried Hard" award, <laughs> and so I wrapped them all up, and we we all threw we we opened them up on Christmas, and it was amazing to see his face. It was priceless. Was he disappointed? He was, but he he gave he gave me the nod. He's like, "This is good, man. This is good." He is an emotional being. I feel like very in tune with. Uh, with what makes people laugh. And then also, I think he's really good at, um, like you, uh, expressing an interest in others. Yeah, yeah. He is. Okay, so back to the question. I love you, Nick. <laughs> uh, so I think that a, a big part of me is is this, this internal desire to do well, to, to compete. Um, and, and I think, you know, a lot of that can be learned but at the same time, I mean, you're you're born with this certain like competitiveness and this internal drive, and I've always had that from day one. So I, I had a great like base to start. Sure, you know whether that's luck or genes or I don't know how, but that's just who I am as a person. And and you know it was spelling tests and even in school, obviously sports. I mean, literally everything. I wanted to do well and I wanted to succeed and compete. So. That's always been there, which which is pretty much the basis of kind of how I've progressed. But I would say the biggest thing in the all the expectations and, and taking the next step was I always found myself in really competitive environments. And I think that's something that's so important if you want to try and, and take like the next steps and progress yourself is you've got to find ways to to put yourself in those competitive environments because that's the only real way that you're going to push yourself. And sometimes you're going to fail, you're going to drop down a little bit, but then you're going to find a way to build yourself back up. Right. And when you build yourself back up, you're going to be stronger than you were before. And then you're going to take that jump and you're going to surpass that, that group that you're in yes. and you're going to jump up to the next group. So when you get to this next group, you better make sure that it's another competitive group because you're just going to do the same thing. And, and that's really been my journey of, you know, I was on a really good club soccer team from, you know, kids from all over the area. And it forced me to, to just compete. Yes. And, and, and I didn't know it at the time, obviously, you know, cause you're eight years old, you're 10 years old, but looking back, you can, you could admit that. And then I, you know, went to high school and um, I wanted to do really well in the classroom and on the field because I wanted to get a college scholarship. And someone told me the best way to get a college scholarship is to have good grades. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous about this. Like, I'm not gonna be able to go to college. And so I took it really seriously. And, and then when I got to Notre Dame, that's really when all of that like competitive environment stuff that I'm talking about came out. Because Notre Dame for me was, was the most competitive environment um, that I've ever been in. Um, you show up on campus, and first of all, it's it's there's only eight thousand students, so it's a small school. Not everyone knows that, um, so there's about two thousand kids in each class, and the peep the the resumes there are just insane. It's like you show up, and everybody, you know, is a is a three sport varsity letterman. Everyone was all state. Everyone had a four zero. Every like and and so. 
and everyone wants to do well. Mm -hmm. And so it's like literally everything you're doing, not just soccer, but in the classroom, the leadership councils, it's, it's like, I don't know, competitiveness on steroids. Right. And, and that's really, I guess, when I propelled myself and said, all right, I love this environment. Um, I, I feel like I'm thriving. I want more of it. You know, you get a little taste and you just want more. For and sure. So that's kind of, you know, it's college. Like that's when I developed a lot of the skills um, that I have, the the personality traits that I have today as an adult. But yeah, I mean, I would say Notre Dame is, is you know, one of the best decisions that I ever made. And, you know, you'd mentioned a lot of people don't know this about Notre Dame. I would also go on to say a lot of people don't know that at Notre Dame, you were actually not just an All-American, but you were an academic All-American as well, right? Yes. So subtly, yes. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, you thrived not just in your respective sport, but you still found time to, um, to obviously become educated and educate yourself and consistently grow in all walks of life, which I admire. And I think that you've, take, you've taken that same approach as you've progressed throughout your career as well. So, you know, interesting topic, competitiveness and the competitive nature of others. You know, I was always, growing up, I was a basketball player. Um, you know, I, I would spend hours and hours and hours in the gym with my buddy, John Stoner. And uh, he had a little barn in Lacine, Kansas with a basketball goal in it. And we would literally be out there for seven, eight, nine hours. I was never a wonderful basketball player. Actually, one of my one of my only regrets in life is that I quit my senior year. Yeah. Um, but what's amazing about that is then I went to Johnson County and the University of Missouri Kansas City, and I just played rec league ball and I practiced with the team and uh, you know I I I was around the sport as much as I was in um, junior high and high school, and incidentally or or coincidentally I actually got better in college than I was in high school. Like all of a sudden I became quick and I became a shooter and I was a slasher and, and people would ask me like, you should, when are you trying out or what do you, who do you play with? And, and I never did anything with it. Yeah. But after college and following three knee surgeries and all that stuff, like I can't play anymore. And if I get out there and play today, I don't know how to dial it back. Like I still play today the same way that I did when I was 19, 20, 21, dive in like an idiot. I mean, it's rec league, right? Yeah. And so I'm laid up for, for two weeks if I play today. So I miss that competitive thing that you're talking about. And so I had to fill that void. And for me, it was either video games or finding successful, successful individuals like Larry or yourself or, or Chase uh, from Charlie Hustle or going to the gym. And the one thing I like about going to the gym, a lot of people, they, they get nervous about what everybody else is, is thinking of them or why they're looking at them or whatever. What I find interesting about growth, and I'd like for you to speak to this and, and, and see if you have a similar philosophy. My philosophy is the individuals that are at the, the, the top of their respective field or craft, they don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Like LeBron James, he probably at one point in time modeled his game at, you know, he saw Michael Jordan and say, I, I want to be like that. But LeBron James never considered the fact that he was you know the you know all the individuals coming up with him he wasn't competing against the only person that you're really competing against is yourself like you get you can get bogged down by the thought of what everybody else is is being or doing and you could model your style after them or whatever but i've always heard why be a second rate you know matt beesler when you could be a first rate paul long and so when i started really focusing on my speaking style for example I wouldn't really expose myself to other speakers because I didn't want to model their style. I would educate myself in the realm and what they were talking about, but I didn't want to overexpose myself to what they were doing because I felt like I could start to mirror it too much. How do you feel about um, you know, growth as it pertains to competition with yourself versus the group of people like you said at Notre Dame where you were competing against? Yeah, like I, I think... If you can ever get to a place where you're comfortable enough, where you're not worrying about what other people think, great. Like, th that's the place that we all should be Aspire, in. Aspire, right? That's zen. But that's hard. 100%. It's, I mean, that's an, almost an everyday challenge, especially in today's world. There's so yes. many comparisons, and with social media, it's, it's, it's really hard to do that. So, I mean, I think the first step is to um, acknowledge that that's the place that we want to get to. Mm. 
Because if you if you can't realize that or, or understand that, then you have no chance of getting there. Great point. And then once you once you know that and can admit that, well, then you can go to work on it. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I don't know if we're ever really going to get to that point where it's a hundred percent just us. Sure. Because I mean, we're humans. One hundred percent. You know, and so I think it's all about finding that balance. Um, I, I also think it's not a bad idea to, to, to have other people to compete with at times. 100%. Because, um, you know, I, I just, like I said, it's the balance. Like for me, uh, yeah, I love competing with myself, but I also, I have a healthy competition with some of my teammates as well. Mm. Uh, like Graham Zusi, I've been teammates with, this is our 12th season. Great we got, dude. We got drafted together and I mean, he's one of my best friends. Like I don't know if we've ever gotten into like a an altercation or a fight or anything like that, but we've been like competing against each other and with each other for twelve years, and that's crazy that we've never never had like any you know dispute for sure or anything. And so I think that's like a great sign of me and Graham push each other to be better. Mm. We compete with each other and sometimes against each other, but it's a healthy competition. Yes. So I think um, as long as it's healthy. Great. Yeah. Go for it. But when it's not healthy, when you're losing sleep about it, when you're stressed about it, right. when you know, you're you're comparing yourself to other people who you don't even know, or sure. you know, that that's when it becomes a distraction. Or have nothing it, in common with. Yeah. Like I could look at you and say, gosh, I want that body style. But like people at the gym do. Yeah. But no one knows what your DNA looks like. Yeah. No one knows what you were given in life. No one knows what you eat. You know, no one yeah. knows any of that stuff. So I could model myself and say, I'm going to compete against Beasler. Yeah. But there are a lot of factors that are unknown to your point that ultimately could impact the desired outcome. So I believe wholeheartedly in everything you're saying. That's what I love about, I think this is important to get to a place in society where you could have an honest conversation where people don't 100% agree but you could share insights and opinions to say, huh, maybe that might make sense. Or maybe I could push myself in that regard. I need additional individuals that I could compete against. But one thing I I like about what you say is I also think that there are individuals that that you can't necessarily compare yourself to because you don't know. Like you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So, you know, I've spent a lot of your time thus far and uh, I probably talked more than you in this podcast, which isn't common. I don't like it at all. So I'm going to turn it back to you as we start to wrap this thing up. You had told me early on that you were a fan of of quotes uh, and development of yourself. Is there a mantra or a quote that has really stuck with you over the course of your career or or that you kind of live your life by that you would like to share with uh, the Fundamism podcast community? Sure. So I'm a big Tom Brady fan. Let's get get that out of the way. It's unfortunate. Yeah. uh, All the Chiefs fans out there. But I mean, how could you not at least admire the guy he's the for what he's done? You know, yeah. so love him. But one of the quotes that I that I love is uh, "Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose," and it and it comes from a NBC sitcom, um, Friday Night Lights. Yes, the high school football show. Right. Yeah. So the the coach, like before the game, they're like chant or whatever when they're in the locker room. The coach says, "Clear eyes, full hearts," and then all the team chants back, "Can't lose." <laughs> I love that quote. Yes. Uh, love it. It's just it's uh it's just cool. It's sport related. Um and the know, title I, of this podcast. Yeah. It is. You just nailed it. Is it really? Yeah, we, you just came up with a title. Oh, okay. I like Clear that. Clear eyes, yeah. full hearts. Yeah. I feel like that's 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 what we've landed on. Cool. Kudos to you. I like that. Um we can talk. I got like 10 more minutes if you want to talk. Oh, you oh, really? <laughs> I mean, whatever. I, well, you we told me keep, earlier you were the lead like I know, you were I know. you're well, so there's, there's one other thing that I do want to talk that I want to say because we talked about this before the podcast, and this this can kind of be my quote. Yeah. So this is something that I've almost put together. This has been like years in the making from from some of the speeches and talks that I do. So a lot of people ask me about leadership. Please. What I usually talk about leadership leadership is hard to talk about mm. because there's just like so many different angles, and a lot of times I'm talking to kids in schools about leadership. So I sat down, I'm like, how am I going to talk about leadership? So what I usually say is, first of all, I say leadership is intimidating. Like, let's just get that out there. Um, It's intimidating, especially to young people. And 
we need to like redefine what leadership is to make it easier for us to like understand. And so I usually say, what does leadership mean? Think about it. And like a lot of kids raise their hands and they they say like, oh, it, it means leading people. I was like, okay, yeah, like that's not a good definition. Right. You can't use the word. You say that to them? No, I, I mean, I'll in, just my head, yeah, 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 in my head. My Destroy head, these kids' dreams. Yeah, but like that's, that's like, that's the problem. It's like defining leadership is, is tough. And, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, leader, leadership is my teacher or a boss or the president or, you know, it's people leading like thousands of other people. Right. And which is true. But that's not just like the only kind of leaders. And so through like the years of just like thinking about it and trying to break it down in its most simplest form. So my definition, my quote for leadership, leadership is positively influencing one person. So that's all it is. So if you can somehow positively influence another person, that's, that's leadership. You are, you are leading them. And so that's like, that's my challenge to, to these kids and and just people in general of, all right, yeah, leadership's intimidating. It's tough to break down. Like, how are you going to like tackle this? Yes. Well, you don't have to lead a hundred people or 20 people. Cause if you think about it like that, you're going to get overwhelmed. And, and so let's take a step back and say, all right, my goal today, my goal at practice, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to positively influence one person. One person. We can all do that, right? So find something that you can do to positively influence someone. Right. So you go and do that. You do it. And then you say, oh, I, I just did it. I'm, I'm already done with that. Like, I, I did it. Well, what's next? So then you go and do something else. And then before you know it, you're not leading like one person or two people. You actually are leading 10 people or 20 people. And then if other people are doing the same thing as you are, then you have a full room of leaders and that's when you, you know, become a team that wins. That's when you become like a company that has success. I mean, those are the best teams that you can be on is when, when multiple people in the room are leading without even knowing it. Sure. Yeah. I'm so glad that you decided to take over the podcast <laughs> because uh, we mentioned earlier that energy is real. And uh, I, many of you have heard me tell this story before, but I had the opportunity to speak at a conference called Santa America, and it was a National Association of Santa Clauses. That's it's, amazing, by the way. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> I got the opportunity to do a Q&A afterwards, and this gentleman uh, stood up and he says, how do we change society's mindset from one of negativity to positivity? And my response outside of challenge people to get out of their heads, right? And we do that not necessarily consciously, get out of your head, Matt, but more so challenging them by altering the monotony of their day, doing different things, shooting the finger guns at them, asking more memorable questions, whatever it may be, because those things help people get out of their head, right? But the key answer that I told them is, if you're looking to change or alter society, that's a very daunting task. If you're looking to change the culture in Sporting KC, that's a daunting task. If you're looking to influence the shadow buddy's reach, that's a daunting task. The truth of the matter is, and I say this in my opener, the answer is one interaction at a time. The way that you influence society is one interaction at a time. The way that you become the best leader possible is is you focus on one one interaction at a time. And then I go into a very specific exercise where um, I have met at this point six, seven, eight, nine people, the Greg Beaslers of the world. And then I will share a very personal story of something that, that Greg shared with me prior to coming up on stage and something that Larry told me and something that Matt told me. And I'll share those stories and I'll say, that one interaction at a time that Greg gave me, that Matt gave me, that Larry gave me, may have given me the confidence to come up here and, and feel comfortable delivering a keynote that might have impoked, impacted 5, 10, 15 more people. And if they take that on and then they spread that message, well, then one interaction at a time just created a groundswell. So you, my friend... Just freaking knock that out of the park. I appreciate it. We're on it. the same page. We're on the same this page. Is, I, I We're basically the here. same person. Do we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Beasler, you're a true gentleman, as authentic as they come. I greatly appreciate you inviting Larry and I into your home, uh, sharing space with your wife and your children and that ping pong table that it's about to catch all kinds of hell. Um, 
Dude, I can't wait to cross paths with you in the philanthropic space. I know that you're getting ready for the 2020 Sporting KC Camp. We wish you all of the best, and thank you for everything, dude. You're a true gem in the community. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. As always, thank you very much for tuning in to the Fundamism Podcast. We greatly appreciate you guys. We wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for you. We challenge you today, like Matt Beasler said, focus on one interaction at a time because that one interaction at a time could make the difference and not only altering one person's mindset, but creating the groundswell that could potentially move society forward. We greatly appreciate you. Wish you all the best. Go create some fun today in your life and in the life of others. And as always, we'll catch you on the flip side. Deuces!